You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. From the TCL Studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. And then Jeff Teague taking the basketball away. Beats Taj Gibson and everything going right here tonight for the Timberwolves. That is, um, that's driving. Oh! Shasso Kogi! May the force be with you! What a night it was for the Timberwolves. 128-89, to 89, the final here tonight. The Timberwolves absolutely manhandle the Spurs. Yeah, and we're going to, hello gentlemen, Mackie right, and Judd, hour two, and uh, we're going to get back into the Wolves' dismantling of the San Antonio Spurs last night, 40 points. It was impressive. And uh, a lot more to get into with that. Tom Pelissero at 430, but there's uh, there's four main people on this show right now. Mackie and Judd. We got Manny Hill. We mm-hmm. have Jonathan Harrison. And if you were to take all of our passions and combine them and rank them, like Judd's number one passion is probably, well, beer, hockey, football, some combination. Being mi- miserable is up there. Probably hockey. <laughs> hockey might be yeah. number one. Like Manny would be the Tennessee Volunteers, which is another miserable Losing existence right now. Three in a row yeah. to Vanderbilt. Yeah, not good. Uh, but then if you keep going, maybe even higher up on this list. Uh, soccer would be Jonathan's main passion and poker would be one of my two or three main passions. And so when a couple of these worlds collided locally here, uh, defender for Minnesota United FC, Brent Coleman, not only did you win 60 plus thousand dollars in a world poker tour, $3,000 buy-in event, but according to, uh, the hendonmob.com database, You've made like $200,000 playing live poker events, and we wanted to hit you up and ask you about poker and soccer, but welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And uh, and I actually, little known fact, I guess, I actually was one of the co-founders of the Mid-States Poker Tour, and I see you almost housed one of those events last summer, really? too. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, those are awesome. So those are those were kind of like my first, uh, you know, getting my feet wet in, in bigger buy-in poker tournaments with, with big prize pools. Um Man, that's such a great tour. I didn't know you were a co-founder. That's awesome. Um, so my first one was at Canterbury, and I won the entry. They have a, a $235 tournament every Wednesday night at Canterbury. And uh, 2013, I won, I won one of those before the event, and they added in a seat to the main event um, for the into the prize pool for whoever won the tournament. So for a $230 tournament, I won like $5,000, plus I got an $1,100 seat into the main event. And then I, I went on a deep run in that tournament. I ended up taking third. And that's kind of how I got started uh, playing these live, these bigger buy-in live poker tournaments. Yeah. So what is it? What is it just sort of a, a fun side gig for you? I mean, is it, is it something that you would ever, when you're done playing soccer, that you would get into? I mean, what is, what is it for you, and what's it like playing for tens of thousands of dollars at some of these tournaments? <laughs> um, in some of these these situations, like the other day, it actually it gets pretty stressful, you know, when uh, the pay jumps get to be so big and stuff like that. I, I do find myself, you know, really nervous and stuff like that. But uh, when it comes to poker, it, it's something I've done for a long time. Um, that big poker boom happened in 2003 when 
Moneymaker won the World Series. I was 13 years old. I watched it. I loved it. Um, and my older brother and I just started playing online. We started playing all the time. And it's just kind of been a hobby of mine ever since, you know. School and athletics always came first. You know, soccer is still for sure number one. But poker is something that I do on the side as a hobby. You know, it kind of feeds my competitive nature um, and my competitive drive. And I, I see myself doing it for a really long time, probably for the rest of my life. But as far as doing it full time, I, I don't really see that as an option. Do you? Uh, our, our guest is Brent Coleman. He's a defender for a Minnesota United FC, and uh, and he. There's some some headlines if you do a Google search. Star Tribune wrote about it, but he won sixty two thousand dollars finishing at the final table of a recent World Poker Tour event. What do you feel more pressure doing, sitting at final tables or playing in MLS games? Sitting at final tables for sure. Wow, for sure. Yep. Um, they're just in soccer. You know, I, I'm very. You know, I have so much experience playing it now that I still get like excited about it, and I have some nerves going in, but. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm not going to be making many wrong decisions. But when it comes to like these these final tables of these poker terms, especially the bigger buying ones, the the difference between you know eighth place and first place is so much money. First place in this tournament was over over half a million dollars, and when I bust down eighth, I you know I I, I took I, I won sixty two grand. So there's so much on the line. Every there's so much going on in every decision, and they're, they're so important. So there's definitely, uh, I would say, more stress at a, at a live uh, poker tournament final table. Yeah. So, Brent, do you enjoy a, a team sport more where where it's certainly competitive, but you have to uh, rely on those around you potentially for your success? Or poker, where it's all on you, and if you win, lose, are successful or not, it basically falls on one person, and that's you. I would say, oh, man, I probably like the team aspect more, but it's definitely more challenging, right? There's so many other dynamics going on. Um, but poker reminds me of a sport that I did growing up. I did for you know over 10 years that I loved a lot, and that was wrestling when, when you're on your own. Um, and, you know, you're the one making all the decisions, and, and, you know, it's just all on you. So it kind of brings me back to wrestling a little bit. Also, I think that's part of the reason why I really do enjoy it so much. It's just me, but... As far as what's more challenging, I think team sports. There's so much going on. You got team chemistry. You got a bunch of people doing different jobs at the same time, trying to accomplish the same goal and stuff. So you guys, you guys know how that goes. Yeah. I suppose you'd have to fake an injury or something to play in the World Series of Poker, though, because it's in the middle of the season. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is I got to play in one event. So, it, like you said, like I'll, I'll probably never be able to play in the main event um, as long as I'm playing soccer. But uh, we had like a five day break. This was a couple years ago. Now this was in 2016. And I went down to Vegas with five days off, and I played in a $1,500 event. And at the time, that, that buy-in was too much for me. Um, so what I did was I sold, you know, what you probably know, that's a lot of poker players do is they sell a piece of their action. So if, guy, if somebody wanted to put up $500 for me, they would get a third of whatever I would win if I would make the money. And uh, I had some teammates pitch in, and they all took a piece of the action. And I, and I bought it, and I played this tournament. And... I actually, it was, it was going really, really well. I was probably one of the bigger stacks on day one, and then I ran into a huge hand. Um, I probably could have played a little different. They could have found a fold, but I ended up getting crippled and getting knocked out. So I have played in one World Series of Poker event, and uh, 
it's something that when I'm done playing, I'll, I'll definitely get down there. Hopefully, I'll play the main event. It's on my bucket list. Judd, can I swindle you into uh, putting some cash into me for the ten thousand dollars? Absolutely not, not. Brent. Just, perhaps, <laughs> but not you. Uh, how, uh, how's your track record? Send me all your random mob. Maybe I'll, I'll buy a piece. All right, all right. We'll uh, we'll trade info. I, I haven't played in a while now, but hey, we have uh, Jonathan Harrison is our is our uh, lead producer for Minnesota United radio broadcasts. I know he's got a couple questions for you that are probably more soccer-related. Jonathan, go ahead. All right, so first off, thanks for joining us, Brent. Uh, what was what was it like for you guys to get Darwin Quintero in the middle of the season and just give you that shot in the arm and just have 11 goals and 14 assists and just basically lead the team in scoring and attacking throughout the rest of the season there? Yeah, it was massive. Um, I mean, you just add a guy that can do that can change a game, you know, just like that. Um, it, it was huge for us, and hopefully, you know, it, he'll be really important going forward. We need him firing on all cylinders because um, you kind of saw at the end of the end of the year last year, we kind of went as Darwin went, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he's going to be a huge piece for us. He's really exciting to watch. He works hard, um, and like I said, he he gave us something we didn't have before, which was a game changer. This guy could change a game at any moment in time, and. Uh, Man, that game against Toronto, I've, I've never seen such a performance live in my life. I was, was my jaw was kind of dropped, yeah. Uh, speaking of the Toronto match, there was a match a couple weeks later against Real Salt Lake. You guys were up 3-0 going into, I think, the 77th minute, and then Real Salt Lake score two goals. They don't come back to win it, but so you guys still win 3-2. You guys get done. You sing, you're sing. you there singing Wonderwall, and then all of a sudden, we've got audio here, so give me a second here. All of a sudden, Adrian, after the match was talking with Jamie Watson, and here's the audio. Adrian, an exciting second half, <laughs> maybe too exciting towards the end there. Give us your thoughts on that. Absolutely ridiculous. The game's won at 3-0, and we consistently try and get the opposition in the game. It's ridiculous. What do you do this week to work on that? I know it's been time. <laughs> what we'll be doing. I ain't putting up with that. The game should have been finished. Should have been 3-0. And we have to put up with that nonsense at the end. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so you. you. So you guys, <laughs> thank you. So you guys go up three, three nil. You guys get a, you get the win. You get done singing Wonderwall with the fans. But then Adrian comes in to the locker room like that. What's that like being on the end of that? Um, I think, you know, what he's trying to, what he's, what he's trying to do, and the the attitude that he wants to put mm-hmm. into us, right, in, in that situation, is he's one hundred percent right. You know, there's yeah. no room for taking the foot off the gas. Because in soccer, anything can happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like we had this really good win at home, and uh, we want we all wanted to celebrate and you know and have fun and stuff. But the reality is, is he's a hundred percent spot on. We we made it, it turned into a game. <laughs> we potentially could have dropped points, and it, he's right. It was ridiculous, but it's kind of funny. You don't see coaches going off like that usually after you win. But I think it was really appropriate for the moment. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand what he's trying to. You know the message he's trying to get through there. We probably needed it, or we definitely needed it. Yeah, there was a couple times where he, where he usually does those the uh, post match interview with Jamie, but there was a couple times this season where he didn't. Um, as a soccer fan, my favorite player in all of soccer is Latan Ibrahimovic. You got to see him twice. You got to play against him twice. What's that like when a guy like that comes into the league? A guy like him or Rooney comes into the league, and you have to go up against them. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so cool, man. Like. It kind of felt a little surreal um, the week leading up to those matches when we played against D.C. and we played against L.A. Because you're literally game planning to play against Laton or Rooney, you know? It's kind of like we're out there on the trade pitch and we're going through the tactics and stuff and we're talking about what 
what Zlatan's going to be doing and what he <laughs> likes to do. And it's kind of funny to me, man. I, I never really thought it would happen. But, uh, yeah, it's awesome. They, they, those guys are incredible. They've had ridiculous careers, and they obviously have ridiculous qualities. Is why they're such good players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I will say this. I think Rooney was the most difficult player I've ever played against. Really? Because, yeah, he poses the most problems for a center back. He's constantly, his movement was the best I've ever seen. His timing of when he was trying to make runs in behind you, pull off your shoulder, or even show up to the ball were just perfect. Like, you couldn't get close to him. And with Zlatan, it's a little different because he likes the ball at his feet a lot, so he'll play in front of you. He's not threatening to get in behind you as much, so it's a little less stressful. But with Rooney, he was just he was just causing you problems the entire time. It was, it was, it was a nightmare, honestly. Did you see when he did that against, uh, I think it was Orlando? when they were at home and he had to charge back like 70 yards downfield just to clear the ball because there was no goal keeper in the goal on his end. And yeah, then, and, then he, and then he hits the long ball. Oh, that was such an amazing that. cross. Yeah. I love yeah. I love I love you guys. Just, yeah. is amazing right Did you now. see that? That I one time? Love, sorry, you guys are just sorry, nerding sorry, out sorry. on soccer. We're, just, awesome. ner- we're nerding out about poker and soccer with Brent Coleman. <laughs> no, it's right awesome. Now. It's fantastic. Well, Brent, we'll do it again. We'll get you on again sometime, all right? Thanks, all right, Brent. Guys. Yeah, I could Thanks, go man. on all day about this stuff. Thanks. Awesome, man. Oh, all right, stuff. Brent Coleman, uh, defender for Minnesota United FC. Jonathan and I are just like two kids in a candy store. Right I appreciate though. you guys indulging me in the oh, soccer. That was awesome, dude. You found that poker tour, really? He was impressed. Yeah, well, he's yeah, he's way better. I mean, he's like, oh, send me your send, so send me your uh, your poker history. Like, dude, you're way better than so I. So I could give him five hundred bucks, and win, and and if he wins, I get a cut of that. Is that right? Well, I don't I don't think he's at the point where he needs your five hundred dollars anymore. Well, what he just, was saying is when he, when a thousand five hundred dollars okay. was too much for him to buy in. But I'm saying, gladly take could your five hundred. Could I find a good young poker player? Who needs my assistance? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, oh, if you've got money to burn, about, I didn't know about this. There's a lot of. So what happens is this the, is tempting. The I feel like we're I'm, I'm droning on about poker again here, but just for fun. If so, I get rich, I really don't care if you keep talking. There are websites like Ustake.com and yeah. different places where there's really good online players or really good, let's say, players who play in some of these lower buy-in tournaments. Yeah. And they can't. They're not just going to put ten thousand dollars of their own money to buy into the World Series of Poker because it's just Bad bankroll management, so they need the sugar daddies like Judd Zolgad to come in. Hold on a second. Give him a little scratch. This and, sounds tempting. And now really good players will try and pull a fast one and say, well, it's a $10,000 buy-in, and you're going to give me 1000 so you would think that you'd get 10%. But the good players are like, I'll give you 5% on the oh, winnings, okay. which is BS. Yeah, I don't like that. Anyways, that was super fun. Brent Coleman, defender from uh, Minnesota United FC and a huge poker nerd who just won $60,000 in a World Poker Tour event. We've got Tom Pelissero. We got to talk more about. Yeah, did the was it Space Jam last night? What happened to the Spurs? But the Timberwolves look amazing they too. They were the so. Washington Generals last night. So we can talk more about that in the football hour coming up too. Let's talk first about Luther Brookdale Toyota. You want to talk about things that aren't gambles? That would be my guys in the service department on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Uh, you know, you just get such amazing peace of mind through Luther Brookdale Toyota, whether it's. I mean, if you're if you're an idiot like me and you don't even really know how to change your own oil, well, go in and get an oil change, and they'll they'll give you that peace of mind. If it's more big picture, uh, you know, just got to get information on a new vehicle or something bigger when it comes to maintenance. It's just like I said, total peace of mind across the board. Steve and Dwayne and Jeremy and all my guys in that service department, uh, they've been helping my family for about thirty years or so, and with the holiday season upon us. 
This is a great time to check out some of the brand new 2018 and 19 Toyotas on the lot. Open until 9 o'clock tonight. The website is very easy to remember. It's LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Again, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Give us your thoughts on that. Absolutely ridiculous. Mackey and Judd. I ain't putting up with that. On 1500. We have to put up with that nonsense. ESPN. Uh, when Covington comes in, uh, you know, obviously, I thought the defense was great. Uh, you know, I think the way Derek's playing right now is... You know, he's playing at an all-star level. So that's a huge plus for us. But I mean, maybe you guys dove into this in the 3 o'clock, but I know Manny was on Twitter. So they destroyed the Spurs last night. And oh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. We have the sound. Is it the is this the third one here? I'll play it in a second. Yeah. Uh, it's that longer one, right? Uh, yes. Yep. That's okay. the one. Yep. So that's the best the Wolves have looked under Tom Thibodeau. I mean, that's like they beat they beat one of the class and best organizations in organized team sports by forty points. I know it's not the same Spurs as five years ago, but yeah, they you don't beat the Spurs by forty. They look absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and it was enough even for Tom Thibodeau to take a seat for the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. I don't know if he's taken a seat for five total minutes since he took the job. Where you just <laughs> not in the second half? No, he got teed up up by. Eight or ten points with thirty seconds to go in the fourth quarter a couple games ago because mm-hmm. he just won't stop spazzing. But last night was such a comfortable uh, victory, and yet and and then Josh Akogi comes in finally and the dude scores double digit points in you know half a quarter and throws down the monster dunk of the season for the Timberwolves. And when asked about Akogi's contributions in classic Tibbs fashion, see Josh come off the bench and just give you energy and effort like that after not playing for a while. I mean, what, what does it say about him being able to stay ready and take well, advantage? I, I guess think that, that, you know, and again, I want to watch the film and that's what, you know, like when you give up 31 points, that's not good. And so <laughs> we have to understand that. And then, uh, you know, are we, is everyone doing their job? Is everyone doing the right things? And that, that's what you want to see. And I liked his energy. And I like that part of it, and I want him to keep working. Obviously, he's young, and he's he's got to keep continue to improve. I mean, that's impressive to to pull a negative out of what happened last night. To pull a negative and out a of what happened. And pounce on it immediately. To, to take the a positive to the question. layup question. Hey, this guy came in. No, he gave up. He alone gave yeah, up thirty one points alone. It was there was five Josh Akogis on the court. I will say this: the the entire room when when Tibbs went there, all started laughing because we we're like, "Really? You're really you're really doing this? <laughs> you just you were up by from f- home. I just laughed. You were up by forty eight points, and you are really you're mildly upset. Thirty one points in the fourth quarter is unacceptable. Like, all right, dude. Yeah. Well, and here and here's the problem. So here's the problem that that the Wolves marketing people are going to, to have, and that this team still has. They are now eleven and eleven. They are seven and two since the trade. This is a likable team now. Wiggins drives you crazy, but Cat's playing great. Covington works his butt off. Akogi does. This is a eminently likable collection of players, I believe, except for one thing: the Tibbs factor. Yeah. Tibbs is still going to be, and rightfully so, perceived as a complete Grinch and curmudgeon. He's more. Li- he's more likable now that this thing is 
is gelling together and that his Derrick Rose acquisition worked. The two guys he brought in for Jimmy Butler worked. Now, it's a little bit like when you balloon up to 300 pounds and then (laughs) you lose 100 pounds to get to 200 I mean, like, yeah, but you let yourself balloon up to 300 pounds in the first place. That's sort of what's happening with the Timberwolves. You allowed the situation to get to a certain point. And now you've just brought it back to... Huh? Fat jokes? Are they close to home or what? In the studio? (laughs) I just don't think we should be doing fat jokes. (laughs) That's a very slimming black hooded sweatshirt. Thank you very much. Okay, I feel better about myself now. Says the guy who was fat shaming Mike McCarthy Well, because he's a dumb fatty. He's a oh, dumb fan. Okay. All right. Okay, Where do you point. fall Touché. on the, Touché. On the spectrum right. there? You're right. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. But Sorry he, to interrupt. He deserves, I mean, he definitely deserves credit for, you know, for taking a toxic situation from where it was two months ago, making a good trade, believing in Derrick Rose, not that there was any, like, wavering from him. Right. And getting them to be now, if the playoff started today, back into the playoff bracket. But he's also the one that took it from right from where it was and shipwrecked it and held out hope with the Jimmy Butler situation. My so. faith in him has not increased, but I, I like this team now. And and I I think the starting point, as well as Covington has played, and as well as some players on this team are playing right now, I think the starting point is still this. And we talked about this for a long time. You needed to get rid of Butler from the equation to allow Cat to be Cat. That was the starting point. And we all knew that and saw that. And I think Covington is smart enough to have gotten here and said, Jimmy Butler is a moron because I look at this guy and you know what? I'm going to, as as you you talked about at the time, I'm going to attach myself Mm -hmm. to Carl Anthony Towns and I'm going to be successful. Do you think Towns, in terms of like this relationship between Towns and Covington is such a bromance and... I asked around a little bit. I don't think they knew each other until two weeks ago, really. I don't think they had this relationship. It's that, a rebound for sure. Well, my, my que- yeah, it's a that's sort of my question. Sure. Yes, How much of this is they really genuinely click and Towns loves Covington versus he's trying to show the world how happy he is that Jimmy Butler's not here. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I kind of get the sense, and I don't know either one of them personally or anything like that. I get the sense from Covington's personality, though, that it's it's a it's a pretty legit bond, well, pretty legit friendship. Because he's smart. Yeah. Because he he looks at Towns and says, Meal ticket. This guy's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but in but I, I think it's a rebound for Towns because think about that. Being stuck in that Butler relationship would have been absolutely awful. This guy's this guy is mocking you publicly. God knows what he's doing behind this the scenes. The fact that anybody with the Wolves, Tibbs Laden, that group thought that the Butler meltdown in practice was a good thing. You're crazy. Mm-hmm. That's not a good. If you're a cat, you're saying what is going on. So I think he looks at Covington now, and and short term at least, it's it's as if he, he was married to Butler for two torturous years, and now here's Covington, and Covington offers this perspective, and you're like, dude, I love you. You're see, great. See, and the other thing too is Jimmy Butler and Robert Covington's in some ways kind of followed the same path to the NBA. I mean, Jimmy was drafted, but he wasn't drafted high. Didn't go to a huge school. I mean, Marquette is Marquette. But Robert Covington went to, I think, Tennessee State, I think is where he went to. Wasn't drafted at all and found himself on the roster of an awful Philadelphia 76ers team. Like, he was a part of that 10-72 and team in 2015, I think. And... So Jimmy goes into this situation in Chicago where he's 
he's on this team that's already good with Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah and Carlos Boozer. And he's he's getting kind of picked on by those guys because he's the youngster coming in and they're the veterans and they're sort of giving him a hard time. Covington walked into a situation that was awful and he just worked his tail off. And so he was able to sort of, I think, have that personality that faced that adversity, that team-wide adversity. And I think he could come into a situation like this and it was sort of a seamless seamless fit. Yeah. I don't mean to keep piling on the same guy show after show here too, but when you think about just for, for, they beat the Spurs by 40 points, 39, but they beat the Spurs by 40 points last night, which is incredible on its face. Mm-hmm. The guy who took the most shots was Andrew Wiggins. Again, <laughs> he went three for 15 last night in the last four games, all four wins, some impressive wins by the Timberwolves in those four games. He's 11 for 52. He's shooting 20% over that stretch. Yes, he is. And again, he went 3 of 15. Nobody took more shots than he did last night. And despite how, I mean, he is shipwrecking this team. And they're still beating the Spurs by 40. So tell me, how does Josh Okogie not play more? It's a rhetorical question because, like, like but, the but, only person that can answer it is Tibbs. But, he should be playing for Wiggins. But the explanation keeps com- coming back as well. Andrew's paid too much, and he's a max player, so they can't sit him. And then my comeback to that is, hold on a second. Everything that Tibbs says he does is not about money, right? It's about milking a victory every night. Josh Okogie gives you more. Yeah. And, and I'm not even suggesting that Andrew Wiggins be benched permanently, nothing like that. What I'm saying is you can't find minutes. You can't find yeah. minutes for Josh Okogie. And I, and I know that this is probably oversimplifying it, but let's take away points and shooting for a second. In terms of sheer activity on the court, just mm-hmm. activity on the court, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, those are good ways to – how active are you? How much are you trying to go in there and – and get teammates involved and pickpocket opposing players, right? I mean, last night, it took Andrew Wiggins 30 minutes to tally f- six combined rebounds, assists, and steals. Mm-hmm. So 30 minutes to, to tally six combined rebounds, assists, and steals. Josh and blocks, he had, he had zero, but uh, Josh Akogi had five in 10 minutes. I get it was garbage time. Mm-hmm. And it and it's not going to be that ratio but every his single energy game. Energy is so damn high yes. every time he plays. Yes. So I don't know. I I just I think the only thing you can hope for is that somehow he gets out of this funk that he's been in for like the last two weeks and develops some form of value so that you can try and move him. That's that really the only yeah. Because because it's it's just I mean the problem is. If he continues to play this poorly with that contract, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to move it. But then don't get tricked into, if he gets hot for two weeks and he starts scoring 30 points and bombing threes again, don't get tricked into thinking that, oh, this is put it together now. Yes. Because some people fell into that trap a couple of weeks ago when he had the big dunk against the Pelicans. And that was one one game. That's that's the problem with guys like that. We get excited by one game, Mm -hmm. by a quarter, because we say, well... Andrew Wiggins is never going to turn a permanent corner now. He's too far into his career. He might have good games. He might have good quarters. But there is not going to be this definite, I don't think, there's not going to be this, he's got it. And it'd be one thing if you had to constantly nudge the fifth guy off your bench. If it was, was, uh, I don't know, like... uh, Tolliver, but he was younger. I'm trying to think of a... if, If like... Uh, if Tyus Jones constantly needed nudging, 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 well, we're not paying him anything. He's the backup point guard and whatever. Okay. 
But when you're paying max dollars to a former number one overall pick. The highest paid player on the team right yes, now. You shouldn't have to nudge that guy. Because he looked the owner in the eye and said, I promise <laughs> I'll try hard. How much eye contact really was there I in prom- that meeting? Just <laughs> looking down at the floor. I promise I'm going to try hard, Glenn. Oh, man. Let's go get lunch. Uh, Tom Pelissero on Vikings and NFL when we come back. It's Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studio. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. We're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. Look, Mike's a game planning coach. Uh, he does a great job of scheming and planning for the team he's playing against. So based on what you do, then he's going to do something to attack you. If you do something else, then he's going to do something else. So you know, he's depends on what you do. That's what you're going to see. They're all good. Yeah, they're all good. So, yeah, every one of them. Robinson, Treadwell, um, Thielen, Diggs, Rudolph, the backs, the quarterback, um, they can pick. They're all good. Okay. He's, you got to, if you're Thielen or Diggs, you've got to sue, right? I would sue Belichick right now. You just grouped me in with Treadwell? <laughs> Let's play this again. I think he named Aldrich Robinson and Laquan Treadwell does, for yes. the first two guys. He does. Right? They're all good. Yeah, they're all good. So, yeah, every one of them. <sighs> Robinson, Treadwell, <laughs> um, Thielen, Diggs, Rudolph, the backs, the quarterback, um, they can pick. They're all good. This is an un. I, I guess it's just occurring to me now that the Vikings are in the middle of this schedule stretch. Yeah, they're playing consecutively three, maybe the two greatest quarterbacks of all time, and three surefire to me first ballot Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Because Russell Wilson's coming up next. Mm-hmm. You're playing. I don't know if you're going to find many stretches in NFL scheduling where you run into three quarterbacks like this, bang, 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 three games in a row on your schedule. Tom Brady at home in the month of December, Phil Mackey, 32 and four. At Gillette Stadium all time, 124 and 20. 124 and 20. Yeah. They just, whatever they do in September, every year this happens where they get smoked by the Chiefs or they get beat by somebody or maybe they lose a bad division game once in a while in September. They got whipped by Jacksonville earlier this year. Remember they did. That? Oh, but, yeah. That's but right. Ev- Jacksonville. But every year we do the same thing. Is this it for Brady? Yeah. Is the dynasty all? Every now, year. At some we, point it will be. I know, but we do get, but every year we try and jump that gun and get roped in. Yeah. At some point, it will be the end, and he and he definitely look. The numbers have kind of dropped off the last few years, uh, but you know I'm not going to bet against them ever this time of year in that climate. This is going to be a really hard game, obviously, for the Vikings to win. Uh, but if if they can get one of the next two, they are guaranteed a playoff what's spot your, in my mind. What's your opinion of this team if they lose the next two? My opinion is they still probably win the last three to get to would it be nine six and one. But they do zero damage in the playoffs. I'd agree with that. So this is kind of back to what you were saying on Monday, I think it was, that these next two games aren't... Like, you can lose these two games and get to the playoffs as a wildcard team. But these two games are foreshadowing for what happens in January. Really. I mean, they're record-wise, it would help to win the division instead so you can at least play a home game or like maybe have a chance. You're not going to get a first-round bye at this point. You're going to have to play three weekends to get to the Super Bowl. Correct. But... If you can't if you can't win these next two games and all of a sudden now your schedule includes losses to the Patriots, Seahawks, Rams, uh Saints, Bear. and Bears. Yep. It's just like what else do you need to know to tell you where the Vikings stand in the NFL? 
that they're a playoff team, but they're not one of the eight best teams in the NFL, right? Because then you've you go Patriots, Seattle a week from Monday, if I'm not mistaken, right? Miami at home, Detroit on the road, Chicago here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you have to, if you come home and beat Miami and Detroit, and, and then go to Detroit and win, I think you're right. I think that you get in as a wild card, probably. Especially since the Bears might not have much to play for, depending on seeding. I, I don't know, but that could be the case in that last game. But one of the next two is crucial, as far as my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, this is, uh, this is going to be also one of the great challenges in terms of just a chess match for Mike Zimmer. He's had some really, really big time wins in chess matches. I think he's, he's definitely had the best of Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy in the chess game. Uh, the, he he got back at the Eagles a little bit here, but the Eagles in the one chess match that mattered in the NFC Championship game, the Eagles definitely trumped Mike Zimmer. Yes, they did. Uh, but this is not only going up against perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time, one of the three greatest quarterbacks of all time, but another guy. Even though as much as Bill Belichick has gone out of his way to praise Mike Zimmer and say he's one of the great adjustment game plan coaches, yeah, uh, it's. Really, the other way around too. Mike Zimmer's not going to face a chess master play, like Bill Belichick. Play the Bills sound bites. He praises everybody. It's hilarious. Uh, the Bill Belichick sound yes, bites. Just play them. They're hilarious. How tough a matchup is Kyle Rudolph. Tough. Yeah, he's tough. He's big. He's fast. He's good after the catch. He's strong. Uh, he's not good after the catch. At all. I know. He's a good vertical route runner uh, down the seams, over routes, posts, things like that. He's good on the catch and run plays. He's not. Uh, you know, it's not a guy you want to trips over have a phone ball book. in his hands and you know let that two hundred fifty-five whatever pounds it is get rolling. And he's a hard guy to tackle, um, <laughs> but he can run by you. He has good speed and he's obviously a big target. He has good hands, good concentration. He makes some tough catches. Smells great. Praises so, everybody. Yeah, he's a big problem. Yeah. What about uh, this? He's another. Here's his Bill, Bill Belichick on Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith does a great job with uh, pre-snap disguise. He's one of the best. Uh, you know, Smith, Ed Reed, Palomalu, uh, those guys are, are say, among the best. He's certainly right there. He's he's a hard guy to uh, to read. He does a, an excellent job of timing his movement based on either the quarterback's cadence, the he's right about this formation, stuff. motion, I know, but it's just play great. clock. He does an excellent job of using some or all of them to put the offense in a, in a difficult position to account for him or to not account for him when he's blitzing and so forth. He's, but then, he's really good. But then if you ask him anything about his team, so Bill, let's talk let's talk about Gronk. Uh no. Nice. He's no. playing well. No. I just ready to go. I just murdered you, actually. Every opponent spirit. of the Patriots is going straight to Canton, Ohio. There's no questions asked. <laughs> yep. But that's how you play it. You uh oh, yeah. you deflect, deflect, deflect. All right, Tom Pelosero, we're gonna talk to him next from NFL Network, formerly of 1500 ESPN. He's one of the founding fathers of 1500ESPN.com for crying out loud. We'll join uh, us next when we come back. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout on 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. All right, as promised, Judd, I've got some crashes to tell you about Told here in the you. 4 o'clock hour. Told I you about know, this. I know, US, uh, US 10 westbound. Uh, we've got two crashes on there, actually, to tell you about. Yeah, pretty much. 694 and Pryor Avenue in Arden Hills. Uh, prepare for a 10-minute delay there. And also uh, between uh, Minnesota 65 and 35W in Moundsview. So these crashes are actually not too far away from each other. Uh, that uh, factor a five-minute delay there. So be careful out there, people. 
Look, Mike's a game plan coach. Uh, he does a great job of scheming and planning for the team he's playing against. So based on what you do, then he's going to do something to attack you. If you do something else, then he's going to do something else. So you know, he's depends on what you do. That's what you're going to see. That, of course, is Zim talking about uh, the Vikings-Patriots game on a Sunday. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, joins us now from Los Angeles. But let's start with the uh, proceedings that we are going to watch on Sunday in Foxborough, Tom. Uh, how close do you think the Vikings offense was against the Packers to operating uh, to a degree where it can go to uh, play the Patriots and have some success now? Because I do think what we saw against Green Bay on Sunday is a bit more w- what the uh, powers that be at TCO Performance Center had in mind when uh, the 2018 season started. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know in terms of the identity of it necessarily, you know, what Mike Zimmer would have in mind. They still didn't run the ball. Uh, what did they have? A dozen carries, I think, in the first three quarters of that game mm-hmm. until they started just kind of rack them up in the fourth quarter. They came out throwing and they did that really effectively. I think it's more so they are closer to the offense that they can be given some of the limitations they have right now. You know, the offensive line is somewhere between okay and not good, you know, depending who you ask. Uh, that's been a challenge for them. It's been a challenge all season to get the run game going. But when they come out and commit themselves to slinging it around with Kirk Cousins and getting the football out of his hand, they've shown that they can create some mismatches with those receivers down the field. They got Kyle Rudolph more involved in that game. Certainly Diggs and Thielen showed up well. They got a little bit creative uh, in the running game, you know, with some of those little, I don't want to call them jet sweeps, but the, you know, those different types of action plays where they get the ball to Delvin Cook, go into the edge. You know, that's, that's some of the, the creativity that we've seen in the past for John Filippo, and it reminded me a bit of the Jets game in terms of just coming out, you know, playing wide open, not playing tight, not playing, uh, as Delvin Cook put it to me last week, you know, he felt like they were playing at times not to lose, not schematically, but just guys were out there being tight and playing to not make mistakes. They, they came out, they played loose, they played free, and it certainly helps when you've got a defense that clamps down the way it did against Aaron Rodgers and company, too. You know, Tom, I saw a really interesting nugget. I wish I had proper credit to whoever tweeted this out, but it was uh, it was about the difference between Sean McVay and the play calling in, in Los Angeles versus Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, and, and how... Over the over the snaps this past week, Aaron Rodgers did it was something like twenty straight dropbacks out of twenty eight, and uh, and Jared Goff only had a handful where he's constantly mixing in play fakes and screens and just different variations to keep defenses on their on their heels. What are I guess my question for you is what are the smart, innovative offensive minds doing so successfully from what you can tell and from who you talk to in the NFL right now? Yeah, I, I did a little bit of research on this, or more accurately, I should say, I asked our research department to do some research <laughs> on this because I was coming out and spending. We didn't. We didn't have us. one of those at fifteen hundred ESPN dot com back in the day. It's amazing. Instead of uh, spending five hours scrolling through Pro Football Reference and trying to sort through the numbers, I can ask someone who can do it in about ten minutes. Uh, and, and there's really not a firm trend in terms of what people are doing offensively. I mean, you look at what Andy Reid is doing with Kansas City. Um, some of the derivative offenses from him, like Matt Nagy uh, in Chicago. I mean, you look at some of the Kyle Shanahan schemes, whether that's John McVay here with the Rams, whether that's Matt LaFleur with Tennessee. Uh, they have different types of approaches. And with McVay and, and the Rams, they, they don't really sub. They play more or less the same personnel on every single snap. Uh, to your point, they do have the highest play-action percentage in the entire NFL, and they also have the lowest percentage of uh, quick passes 
in the NFL, balls that come out in under 2.5 seconds. I don't know exactly where the numbers are on, say, Patrick Mahomes on that, but I imagine that you know that's probably flipped at least to a degree. Um, you know, there's different types of ways to attack, but I think that the one constant, and this really goes for everybody in the NFL, is how do you best use your best people? You know, one of the principles in the Kyle Shanahan offense, and I've sat down, had beers with Kyle before, and talked about this, is you know, you may have players who can't run the full route tree, so don't ask them to run the full route tree. They run two routes well. Have them run those same two routes, but have them run it from different spots on the field in combinations with different things elsewhere. You know, just do what you're good at. It's the same thing with Sean McVay, who uh, trained in part under Kyle Shanahan. It's the same sorts of principles. They they don't run a ton of different route combinations. They really don't change personnel a lot. But what they do, they execute really well. They do it at a high speed, and they do it in a way that can uh, make defenses uh, find a tough to match up. Okay, so that what you just said drives me crazy because, Tom, we've seen this a thousand times. I've got one name for, for you when it comes to uh, being a really good athlete but having problems with the route tree, Cordell Patterson, right? So why are or why did all of these teams force things so much when the very simple answer is not you should do what I tell you to do, it's what do you do well? Well, things like Cordero Patterson I find fascinating, and I did enjoy uh, Mike Simmer's uh, zinger with the, the Patriots are using him much better than we did. You know, with Cordero, it was always a matter of figuring out, okay, he's, a, he's an elite, elite kick returner. What do you do on kick returns? You maybe make one cut and you run straight downhill. Well, what do you do as a zone running back? Do you make one cut and you run straight downhill? You know, Bill Belichick is the type of guy, and Josh McDaniels, too, who's a really bright assistant. You know, potentially still going to be a head coach in the NFL sooner than later. Those guys are the ones who sit back and go, "What if we just have them run straight downhill with the ball?" And that's uh, that's what they've done uh, with Patterson. You know, it's it's more complicated. I mean, I, I remember having when Bill Musgrave was the Vikings' offensive coordinator. And, you know, I would do my uh, my film breakdowns on 15rdspn.com on Mondays. Bill always read those. Other people in the building too. But you know, Bill Bill would bring up stuff that he found it interesting. Like when I had that. Percy Arvin was only on the field for three out of nine red zone snaps. And, you know, trying to talk through why that was, it's, it's sometimes you're, you're a little bit caught up in the scheme and you're not just going, okay, let's find a way to get the ball into uh, the hands of our most explosive athlete in the highest leverage possible situations. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things to it. I, I don't get into criticizing play calling just because I know the amount of data that they use and all the different things. It's not as if, you know, they're holding that big Denny's menu of plays and just pointing their finger and saying, this is the one we're going to call. I mean, it's it's broken down based on what they've seen the defense do on tape. Um, you know, a great example of it in the Tennessee game last week. Uh, they give it to Luke Stocker on a uh, fullback dive on fourth and one. Luke Stocker had never carried the ball in like a nine-year career. Mike Vrabel, uh, the Titans coach, gave a very good answer, which was, you know, based on what we had seen on film, we thought that he was going to – to have the space necessary, we thought we'd attack. It didn't work, um, you know. But that's that's kind of the way it goes. There's, there's a whole lot of things that go into play calling. But you're right in terms of the use of the personnel. It is amazing sometimes how if you get the right player in the right person's hands, um, all the different types of uh, things that can open up. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, with us here, one of our uh, favorites on a weekly basis during the football season. Uh, Kirk Cousins, if the season ended today. He's the leader in completions in the NFL among quarterbacks. It would be a career-high completion percentage for him. Uh, career-high likely in touchdown passes, in passer rating. And it's, uh, he's, it's up there for his career-high in QBR, too. So by all measurements, he's having the best season of his career. But something feels just missing. They've, you know, they, they did have a great performance against the Packers, but they've lost games against the best teams in the NFC. 
Uh, he fumbles a lot, and it just, I think something feels like it might be missing until he proves it in the second half. What are your thoughts on him, and what what are you hearing about Kirk Cousins' first 11 games with the Vikings? Well, again, I go back to the way that that game was called against the Packers really played to the strengths of Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, whereas I think in the previous couple of weeks they've been trying to force the run a little bit. It wasn't working. Um, there were some sequences that got a little bit out of whack there. Um, they're not a team that is built, and two teams are, but they're not a team that's built to have it be third and ten and Cousins has to take a seven-step drop and all of a sudden he doesn't climb the pocket and somebody swats the ball out of his hands. I mean, that's... That's something that's happened throughout his career. You know, you go back to the Chicago game, which, by the way, they're in all the way. As, as wonky as that offense seemed, I mean, they were they were still in it at the end. Uh, Cousins, you know, has a miscommunication on the interception he throws in the general direction of Kyle Rudolph, uh, and the one that was for I think it was Treadwell uh, late in the game was just it's a it's a bad decision. It's just a bad move by by Cousins on that. And you're you're going to get some of those uh, in the course of the season. But yeah, you look at the body of work. Uh, Cousins statistically, if you go back to what he was doing in Washington, he put up some pretty big numbers there too. Uh, when you give him a clean pocket, when you give him a little bit of time to throw, uh, he's awfully good. You know, is he going to consistently extend plays, make plays happen with his legs? Um, you know, maybe not, but he certainly has enough functional mobility to get out of there. Uh, you, again, you can't overlook how challenged they are right now on the offensive line, uh, how that's hurting the running game. And if you're not running the football, well, your play action fakes are not going to be. Uh, as effective as they otherwise would. That all that all fits together. Their plan going into the season was pound the football and then play action deep shots. Well, if you're not pounding the football well, uh, those deep shots are a little bit harder to come by, but the Vikings are fortunate that they've got a couple of wide receivers in Diggs and Thielen who can be one-on-one coverage and a quarterback in Kirk Cousins who has shown he can absolutely get the ball to some tight windows. So, uh, Tommy, after all of the picks thrown, after all of the questionable decisions made, what on earth finally got Blake Bortles benched? What was the final straw in Jacksonville for something that a lot of us have been talking about for weeks now, where they they fire the poor guy who is the OC, and then they bench Blake Bortles finally? Well, I think that there's a lot of different things put together there. Start with the fact that Bortles did help them get to the AFC Championship game last year. I was at that uh, divisional playoff game in Pittsburgh where he <laughs> put up 45 points on the Steelers. You know, he was playing some of the best football of his entire life at that point. So it made sense, you know, based on where his money was versus what they would have had to pay to upgrade the position of free agency. They felt like they would give him a, a short-term extension that, you know, ease some things from a salary cap perspective in terms of his guarantee kicked in on his uh, fifth-year option on his contractors. There's all sorts of factors of why Bortles returns to the quarterback, why they commit to him, but the Jaguars are now at a point where they're three and eight. They keep losing. The quarterback's the one position where potentially you can affect the seed change. And you really have reached the why not portion of the season. I mean, you're not making the playoffs. You're not playing for anything. So go try something different. Maybe, uh, you know, a team that wants to run the football, they're not going to have Leonard Fournette this week either, but try something different. Somebody else call the plays. Somebody else throw in the football. Just do everything different and hope you at least can snap what has been a you know, one of the most baffling long losing streaks that. I can remember, uh, you know, because everything that gets overlooked with the Jaguars, they were 2-0. and They beat the Patriots in Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then they went to Kansas City, and you thought this was the showdown in the AFC. It didn't work out that way, and that is one of the, the most surprising teams in the entire league in a bad way for me this season. Tom, where will you be talking about football this weekend at NFL Network? 
I will be, uh, well, I'll be at the Vikings facility tomorrow breaking down the uh, game against the Patriots, and I'll be on the first plane to Detroit on Saturday, bright and early, Ford Field. I already got the note that I'll be recording my stand-up walk-and-talk in the locker room at like 7 wow. a.m. Eastern on Sunday. You know, Phil, I, there's nothing I like better than moving my hands as awkwardly as possible <laughs> while walking toward the camera to tell you about a team and everybody can see that Sunday morning. Oh, my God. I enjoy Detroit, too. I think we need, fun. we need to do just like 10 minutes next time you're on about TV mechanics and everything you've learned in the last few years. Let's bookmark yet, it. But hopefully someday. All right. See you, see you Tom. Yeah. Tom Pelissero from NFL Network and one of the founding fathers of 1500 ESPN and, and the website. Yeah, he used to do those... He used to spend, he's talking about those film reviews. Those were great. And, you know, I used to, I think there was a year where I went out and would do Winter Park stuff so that he could literally just sit in a dark room. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he would spend all day. He would spend like 12 hours. Yes. And then then you came along in 2011, and so you guys kind of tag team the Winter Park stuff, but he'd sit there all day and pump out these super long, thorough film reviews and players would sometimes, you know, depending on what he thought he saw, yeah. players would pull him aside, yeah, but think, then there'd be, then he'd learn from the players. I oh, think well, then you tell me. linebacker question him sometimes. And I want to say John Sullivan now plays center for the Rams would like, be like, Hey Tom, come here a second. Yeah. But it's good. You put it out and then oh, yeah. they have a disagreement. You can say, Oh, well tell me what Muskie, the actual thing is. And Muskie who should have read and learned from Tom. Yep. Let's uh, let's get to the official football hour when we come back here. Matthew Collar will join us. And uh, actually, let me ask you guys this, because I'm putting something together here maybe for later on in the football hour. How much do we still care about Teddy Bridgewater? Because I'm actually super fascinated by Teddy Bridgewater still. I, mean, I know he's just a backup with the Saints, but like the Jaguars came up. He could be a starter in 2019 somewhere. I have for you later on uh-huh. in the football hour, Teddy Bridgewater destination packing order. Okay, yeah. Okay. Definitely. All right, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studio. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN.